life is waiting, right? You think about waiting at the DMV, you think about waiting at the airport, you think about waiting, all those different places, like waiting is the worst. Waiting for someone to text you back and you're looking for the little bubbles to show up and you're like, why aren't you texting me? It's the worst. Uh, I was thinking my wife and I, like our worst experiences of waiting are all related to our kids and medical issues. In fact, I remember uh, we've had, man, I can't, even, I can't even count the number of broken bones in our family. Um, you need all your hands and toes and probably a few more to count them all. There's been a few in our family. Uh, it's been crazy. And uh, one of the worst uh, ones I remember, though, my daughter broke her arm. She broke both bones in her arm and had to have surgery. And so we go up to, to Memorial uh, for the surgery and the doctor was like, hey, it's going to be like, I don't know, like an hour, hour and a half tops. And we're like, all right, all right. You know, this is our, you know, we're, we're, we're fine. We're fine. So we're in the waiting room and an hour goes by. An hour and a half goes by. We don't hear anything yet. And we're like, well, I'm sure everything's fine. At two hours, all right, the waiting room receptionist was like, it's the end of the shift. Everybody's going to go home. You're going to be left alone in the waiting room by yourself. And a receptionist says, there's this phone I want to put on this counter. And it was like that red phone, you know, like the magic phone. And they're like, if there's any problem, somebody will call you on this phone. So feel free to answer it. And we're like, what? You're leaving us? And so we're here. We're waiting. Two and a half hours go by. And I'm like grabbing that phone. I'm like, who can I call? Like, can I call the doctor? Like, what's going on? Did the doctor not show up? Like, who knows? Like, he's doing the wrong arm. Like, we're, like, all these things start running through your mind because the waiting is horrible. The waiting is bad. It gets a little bit later, like two hours, 45 minutes, and I'm like, Sam, I'm just going to walk back. I'm going to go back and find where they're at to figure out what's going on. About three hours, the doctor comes back. Three hours, he's calm. He's like, oh, it was great. Everything's smooth. And we're like, you know what we've been doing for the last hour and a half? Stressing ourselves out over the, the waiting? He's like, oh, surgery was no problem. It just took a little bit longer than we anticipated. Waiting is the worst. Waiting is the worst. But life is kind of like all about waiting, right? You think about, you think about life. Like you think about being those little kids in elementary school. Those kids in elementary school, you know what they're waiting for? They cannot wait to become a teenager. Because guess what? When you're a teenager, you get your first set of wheels. You get some freedom, right? And then you're a teenager and you're like, man, I'm waiting to graduation so I can be 18 and I can fly the coop and go do my own thing. And then when you're 18, you're waiting until you're 21 so you can... Rent a hotel room. What were you guys thinking of, you sinners? Right? Right? It just keeps going. Life is all about waiting. We wait for the right job. And then we wait to get married. And then we wait to have kids. And then we wait for the kids to get out of the toddler ages. And we wait for the kids to get out of the house. And then we're waiting for vacation. We're waiting for kids to give us grandkids. We're waiting for retirement. And we're waiting to die and go to hell. Like, we, we're constantly waiting. Life is all about waiting. But sometimes the hardest waiting is when we're waiting on God. Like, any, any of you guys ever been there where you're waiting on the Lord to, to come through? Waiting for, you know, his promises. He's given us promises in his word, and we're kind of waiting, God, God like you gave me this promise, God, I'm waiting for you. Waiting for, for God to bring healing in the relationship that is broken. Waiting for God to, to get you through the grief to where you can be 
comforted, waiting for God to give you the peace that he promised, waiting for God to come through like we think he should. And as we're waiting on God, we're like, God, God, what are you doing? God, where are you? God, I'm waiting. I'm ready for this blessing. I'm ready for this answer. God, I'm waiting. Here's the thing about waiting for God. We don't always understand what he's doing. In fact, uh, growing up, baseball was my favorite sport. Uh, I played it when I was young. My dad uh, loved baseball, so baseball's always been uh, great for me. And there's a story about Reggie Jackson, a guy named Mr. October, such a great ball player. And and Reggie Jackson played for a couple years uh, for a manager by the name of Earl Weaver. And Earl Weaver had this rule, and the rule was, you cannot steal a base without my signal. You know, that's the signal where it's, you know, this and that and whatever else. And the rule was, you cannot steal a base unless I give the signal. And Reggie Jackson is kind of like, I'm not going to wait for you. I'm a gifted athlete. Like, I am a student of the game. I can read pitchers. I can read catchers. I know when I can steal a base. I don't need to wait for you to tell me to steal a base. So Reggie Jackson is in the game. Uh, towards, the end of the, towards the end of the game, he, he got to first base. And he's waiting, and he's like, man, I, I, can, I can steal a base here. I, I'm faster than the catcher. Coach never gives him the sign, and he's tired of waiting. So Reggie, on his own, decides, I'm going to steal second base. He runs, steals second base, safe by a mile. He gets up, he's brushing the dirt off, and he's kind of smiling like, yeah, look at that. I know what I'm doing. Well, uh, they ended up losing the game. And the coach pulled Reggie aside and was like, hey, I wanted you to know that you blew the game for us. And Reggie is like, how did I blow the game? I stole the base. Like, come on, coach. I did good. And the coach said, well, it just so happened that the next batter after you, uh, that batter, he was a power hitter. He was a home run hitter. He had a lot of success against that pitcher. They said, Reggie, when you stole second base, that left first base open. So guess what they did to that batter? They walked him. Because the third batter, the one after him, that batter had very poor success against the pitcher. And so that third batter hit into a ground ball to a double play and ended the game. See, the problem with Reggie Jackson, he didn't want to wait. He could only see that one play. He could only see, I could steal second base. But the manager, he could see the whole game. He saw the bigger picture. And sometimes that's what we don't get when we are waiting on God. We don't get the bigger picture. See, no waiting that we do for God, no waiting is ever going to be wasted. God's not slow. He's not ignoring us. He hasn't forgotten us, even though often that's what it feels like. No, God has the bigger picture in mind. In fact, what I've learned about God is oftentimes God is more concerned about what he's doing in us than what he wants to do through us or for us. And there are times that God has us in a season of waiting because he is preparing something in us so we can go and do what God has for us in the future, but we've got to be in that season of waiting where God has a chance to do something in us before he can do those things for us or through us. We have spent the better part of a year studying the the book of of Acts, how the early church, uh, the very beginning, of the church. It wasn't just an institution where you come and you have some religious services and you feel good about it, but it was a movement that impacted everything around them. And we've been in this conversation and saying, God, how could you make Restoration Church 
a movement that impacts our city, impacts the schools, impacts families, impacts neighborhoods. Like, come on, that's, that is, that's a desire for the church. We be a part of something that's, that's, that's moving. Because I tell you what, God is still on the move 2,000 years later. For us to understand the text that Corey read for us this morning, there's got to be a little context we have to understand. In, in Acts 9.15, uh, talking to Paul, talking about Paul, this is what Acts 9.15, it says, This man, Paul, is a chosen instrument to take my name to Gentiles, to Israelites, and to kings. This is God saying, Paul, you're going to be a witness before kings. Then he says in Acts 23.11, God says to Paul, as you've testified to me in Jerusalem, so you will testify to me in Rome. Okay, so here, here are the, the purposes, the promises of God for Paul. Paul, you're going to testify in front of kings, and you're going to go to Rome and testify to me. The last couple chapters have been approaching this, this purpose. We've seen him facing opposition. We've seen him facing lies, being beaten, being arrested, having false charges against him, going through these trials. And the whole time, the whole time all these things are happening, what's Paul doing? Paul's just walking with God. He's trying to have a clean conscience before God and before man. God, I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm obeying you. And then we saw last week where, where Governor Felix, he left Paul in prison for two years. Not because Paul did anything wrong, but because it was favorable for him. And if I'm Paul, I'm like, God, what are you doing? God, I don't get, like, God, you gave me a purpose. You said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to Rome. I'm going to testify in front of kings. God, I'm ready. I'm ready, God. Yeah, God, why am I in prison for two years? Why are these things happening to me, God? Why aren't the doors opening? This is where some of us, I know, we're in seasons of waiting right now, waiting for God to open a door, waiting for God to bring healing, waiting for God to, to, to fix some things. Today, we're going to see in this text that God's plans and God's timing are always incredibly better than we can ever imagine. That when we wait for God's plans, when we wait for God's timing, it is always better than we can ever imagine. And while we're not told in this text why God told Paul, I want you to wait for those two years, we are going to learn some things from Paul about how we can wait well. So chapter 25, there's a new governor in town. Uh, Felix has been removed. He was a bad king. He was deposed. It was a bad situation. Now we have a, a new governor by the name of Felix. No, Festus. Festus is the new governor. Festus is a better man than, than Felix. He's got good intentions. And he knows as he comes in to become the new governor, he inherits this problem with Paul. And he's like, why has this guy been in prison for two years? There's no charges against him. Right? And so on the one hand, the Jews, they hate Paul. They hate that Paul is preaching another message other than their religious rules and their control. So they want Paul killed. But Paul is also a Roman citizen, and he has certain rights. And he can't be held or charged uh, against these false charges. There's nothing to hold him there on. And so Festus is like, all right, this has gone on for two years. i got to deal with this. He goes to Jerusalem, verse 2. It says, the chief priests and the principal men for the Jews, they laid out their case against Paul and urged Festus 
asking, asking as a favor that Paul would be summoned to Jerusalem because they were planning an ambush. You hear that? See, if you remember a couple weeks ago, we talked about how there was 40 Jews who made a vow. Remember their vow? They're like, we were not going to eat or drink until we can kill Paul. Those guys have waited for two years. They're pretty thin right now. They're pretty famished, right? They're like, oh, gosh. And so they're still waiting for the opportunity to kill Paul. And so the Jews are like, hey, hey, Festus, do us a favor. Just send him here, and we'll take care of the whole thing. Now, we don't know why, but Festus is like, no, Paul's going to stay in Caesarea. We'll keep him in Caesarea. He instructs the Jews, hey, bring some of your people down. We'll bring charges. We'll have the, the trial in Caesarea. That's what happens, verse 6. It says, after a week and a half, eight to ten days, they went down to Caesarea. And the next day, Festus took his seat in the tribunal, and he ordered Paul to be brought in. And when he arrived, the Jews stood among him, bringing many serious charges against Paul, which they could not prove. Okay, again, I, I want us to pause for a second. I want us to just imagine where, like, like Paul, Paul's a mover and a shaker. Paul's a doer. Paul's a guy who gets things done. Paul's a guy who didn't just go on one missionary journey, not two missionary, no, he went on three missionary journeys. Like Paul is a guy on the go. Paul was the guy who was like, hey, John Mark, John Mark, you're not mature enough. I don't want to wait for you. No, John Mark, you can't come with me because I'm on a mission. I got things to do. I got, I got stuff going on. Can you imagine how hard it would have been for Paul to have to sit in prison for two years just waiting, letting time waste by? Like, I, I just picture Paul there, and I was like, God, I'm trying to follow you. God, I'm trying to keep my conscience clean before you, and, and, and man, God... God, I'm trying to follow the, the purpose you gave me. You told me to go and do this. God, I'm trying to do that. Why am I waiting? Why are the doors opening? God, where are you? You ever been there? Maybe you're not in prison like Paul. But maybe you have felt imprisoned by that relationship, imprisoned by that work situation, imprisoned by the financial woes. You're like, God, I'm trying to walk with you. I'm trying to follow you. I'm trying to, to live the right way. But God, like, I'm still waiting. And God, I don't, I don't even know how to pray anymore. God, what's going on? And this is where we look, and we're going to have Paul show us how to wait well. How to wait well. It says, verse 8, Paul argued his defense that neither against the law of the Jews or against the temple or against Assyria have I committed any offense. See, Paul's examples of waiting well, number one, is he remembers the what and the waiting. He remembers the what. Now, if I'm honest, if I'm Paul and I walk into that courtroom, like, I'm raging. I'm like, what the heck are you people doing? I've done nothing wrong. I'm innocent. You all are wrong. You guys are idiots. Why, why am I being held here? You Israelites, you Jews, you're lying. And, and, and Festus, your, your predecessor Felix was, man, like I'm, I'm letting people have it. But Paul remembers his what? Remembers what he was called to do. What did God expect of Paul? What did Paul expect? think God expected of him. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. 
that Paul would have a clean conscience between God and man. Paul understood his what. My what is to honor God with how I live, to honor God with my words, to honor God with my actions. And here he has this opportunity to respond in the courtroom, to respond to these lying Jews, to respond to to Festus. And he doesn't lose his focus. He doesn't lose his temper. No, he shows restraint and patience and simply states his defense. I've done nothing wrong to the Jews or to the temple or to the Roman Empire. In fact, look down to verse 11. Festus is going to offer an alternative. Hey, Paul, maybe we should go to Jerusalem and have this, this, this trial in Jerusalem. And Paul answers in verse 11 and says this. He says, if I'm a wrongdoer and I've committed anything that I deserve to die, I do not seek escape from death. Paul says, look, if I'm guilty, like I'm not afraid of dying. If I'm wrong, like, like I'll take it. Makes me think of, well, Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 1, to live is Christ, to die is gain. If I die, glory to God. And if I live, I'll continue to glorify God. It's the same thing. God's getting the glory either way. You see, when you think about Paul in this courtroom, Paul had a right to be released. But listen to this. He had a higher responsibility to God and to the gospel. Right? He had a higher responsibility to God and the gospel. His responsibility to the gospel was greater than his personal responsibility to be released. Right? This is the difference between a right and a responsibility. A right is what we are owed. It's what we are deserving of. Hey, I, I, I deserve this. I'm owed this. I mean, call Paul. I mean, I can picture myself. If I'm in Paul's shoes, I'm like, God, God, I'm a Christian. I'm following you. I'm obeying you. God, you owe me. God, you owe me this blessing. You owe me this freedom. I'm faithful. God, I'm not waiting any longer. You better have an answer for me now because I have rights. I deserve this. But a responsibility is different. A responsibility is what we owe Jesus. The difference between a right and responsibility. Paul knew his purpose. My purpose is to be a witness of the Lord, to honor him, to have a clean conscience, which meant it's not about my rights. It's about my responsibility to represent the Lord. In fact, Paul's going to follow the example of, of Jesus. As Jesus laid down his rights in order to sacrifice himself for us. This is where the responsibility towards God, it is greater than our personal rights. Do you understand that? Listen, if we're going to wait well, again, the example from Paul, as difficult as waiting is, do not lose sight of the what behind your waiting, of what God has called you to. But Paul's there. Paul states his innocence. What's the governor going to do? Verse 9. Governor Festus, wishing to do the Jews a favor, says, Paul, do you wish to go up to Jerusalem to be tried on these charges? And Paul said, I'm standing before Caesar's tribunal where I ought to be tried. See, here's the second thing. 
Paul has been waiting for two years. Again, he's probably tired of waiting. He's probably fed up. He's probably like, I'm done with this waiting. I'm ready to do something. Like, I don't care what it is. I just need to do something. And Paul's example to us, number two, is don't wander in your waiting. Don't wander in your waiting. Jerusalem, it would have been the opposite opposite direction of Rome. Right? It would have been going backwards for Paul. Jerusalem, there was a threat of death if Paul went back to Jerusalem. Yet, if I'm going to be honest, I could almost justify him going back to Jerusalem. Right? Isn't it better than doing nothing? It's doing something. How often are we tired of waiting? We don't see what God is doing. We begin to say, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Oh, God, I know you've got a plan, but I don't see the way your plan is going, so I'm going to give you my plan, and I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to force something to happen. How many of us have ever done that and made things 10 times worse than we could ever imagine? Makes me think of the story of, of Exodus, in, in Exodus. The people of God, God has said, hey, I'm going to take you to the promised land. I'm going to take you to the land flowing with milk and honey and Chick-fil-A and Pottery Barn and all sorts of great shopping places. Like, like I'm taking you to this land. Along the way, people are like, but we're tired of walking. We're tired of waiting. Can't we just get there now? They start complaining. They start taking matters into their own hands. They start taking and making their own golden calves to worship. And they're like, God, we don't want to wait for your plan. We're frustrated with your plan. We're taking things into our own hands. What is God's response? You want to wander? God says, I'll let you wander. For 40 years, he lets them wander in circles in the wilderness so they would learn to trust him, to trust his plans. Makes me think of that old hymn, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. It's easy for us in those moments when we don't see what God is doing. We don't like the waiting. We don't see his plan for us to wander and say, I'm going to do my own thing. Paul's example is don't wander. Don't get distracted. Now, let me clarify. Uh, Wander is different than wonder. I don't think God is opposed to our wondering. God, what are you doing? In fact, the Psalms Aren't they full of just wonder? God, we don't see it. God, we don't understand it. God, we don't get it. I don't think God's afraid of our wonder. But I think the wonder is where we get ourselves in trouble. Paul's example of waiting well, number one, know your why. Number two, don't wander. Number three, seek wisdom. It says in verse 11, Paul said, I'm not afraid to die, but if there's If there's nothing to their charges against me, no one can give me up to them. Therefore, I appeal to Caesar. That right there is a very bold request. I appeal to Caesar, essentially saying, hey, governor, I know you're the one sitting on on the the judge's seat right now. But Festus, I want to go around you. I want to go around you. I'm going to go all the way up to the top to Caesar. See, I imagine this was a, a spirit-fueled request. I imagine this was God putting words in his mouth, praying and saying, God, I don't know what to do. 
And God gives him these words, I appeal to Caesar. And here's Festus' response. Verse 12, Festus conferred with his counsel and answer said, to Caesar you repeal, to Caesar you shall go. All right, Paul, that's what you want. You've got it. And you know what's, you know what's incredible about this? Like if Paul would have gone to Rome on his own, like what would it look like, right? Like he's going to have to figure out how to get some money to cover the travel expenses. He gets to Rome and it's like, uh, who are you? Why do you have the chance to go talk to Caesar? Caesar would be like, I'm not talking to you. So like, like what does Paul do? Does Paul become a street preacher? Does Paul become the guy with a microphone? Hey, everybody, listen to me. Does Paul become the guy picketing outside of Caesar's palace? But because he made this request, I appeal to Caesar. Do you see what happens here? He's going to be taken to Rome, taken straight to Caesar. And notice this, he's under Roman protection at Roman expense. Do you see how that played out? He makes this, this, this bold request, I appeal to Caesar. And because he appeals to Caesar, Festus is like, all right, dude, you got it. I'm going to protect you, and I'm going to pay for it, and you can go straight to Caesar's palace. In fact, I think this is where I want to just bring the summary from the passage. And we make sure we get to understand what this is about. That for Paul, despite his waiting, he learned that God's plans and God's timing are always better than we can imagine. For Paul, like this was such a powerful lesson that despite how difficult waiting can be, man, God's plans and God's timing are always better than we could ever imagine. In fact, in a real sense, this is why Restoration Church exists. In the same way where Sam, Sam and I were in a season years ago wrestling, God, what do you have for us? God, God, we're waiting on you. We're waiting for you to open doors. We feel like future ministry, feel like new ministry. God, we're waiting and waiting, and we're trying to push on some doors, and things aren't going, and we're frustrated. We're like, God, we don't understand what you're doing. Until a friend called him and said, hey, what about planting a church? It wasn't on my radar. It wasn't on my plan. It's not something I aspire to do. It hasn't been easy, but I tell you what, it's been amazing. And that's what happens when we're willing to, to wait, to trust God's timing, to God's plans. He does far better than we could ever imagine. Listen, I don't know what it is God has in store for you. I don't know why he has you waiting. But here's just a, a couple application points for you to wait well. Number one, you're going to wait well. You've got to know God's purposes for you. I mean, in our waiting, there's just so many unknowns. We have all those questions when we're waiting. God, God when? God, when is it going to happen? God, God, when are things going to get better? God, God, when are they going to apologize? God, when are they going to recognize me for all that I bring to the table and for all that I do for the company and for the family and for everybody else? We have the whens, and then we have all these whys. God, why? God, why? Why is this so hard? God, why? Why are they thriving while I'm struggling? 
God, why am I still having these financial woes? God, why am I still single? God, why am I still depressed? Yeah, waiting can be hard. But you know what? You know how you get through the whys and the whens and the wondering? You know your purpose. You know what God has asked of you. Paul knew what God asked of him. Paul knew he wasn't going to be killed in that prison. God told him. Paul knew how the story was going to end. He knew he was going to go to Rome. He knew he was going to stand before Caesar. He knew this because God told him. And he knew my job is to honor God in whatever circumstance he's placed me in. Whatever circumstance I'm in, I'm going to choose to honor the Lord. Listen, in that season of waiting, what is God's purpose that he's asked of you? What is God's purpose that he's asked of you? A lot of ways we can answer that question. I think first and foremost, our purpose is to have a relationship with him, right? I mean, life's greatest question. This is a question uh, everybody asks. What am I here for? Why am I here? God, what do you want from me? I'll tell you what, God's not looking for you to follow a bunch of religious rules. God's not looking to make you some moral person who tells everybody how superior moral you are. No, God's looking for a relationship with you. He's looking for you to surrender to him and to walk with him. That's why Romans 10 says, here's what God wants. He wants us to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead. What's God's purpose for you? is simply to pursue that relationship, to have a relationship with him. Because in our waiting, man, we've got to focus on the what. We've got to focus on the purpose. What is God's purpose for you? Walk in that Stand on that. Be faithful to that. Continue to pursue that. Number two, we're going to wait well. Instead of wandering, we have to be willing to prioritize the little steps of obedience to God. Again, this is where we're waiting. (laughs) We're like, God, we're waiting for you to open the door. God, I'm waiting for you to, to move me. God, I'm waiting for that relationship to happen. I'm waiting for that relationship to improve. I'm waiting for that peace or that blessing. God, what do I do in the meantime? While you're waiting, we've got to prioritize those little steps of obedience. These are the little things. This is where Scripture tells us to love God and love others. Are we being faithful in that? This is where God calls us to to be a witness to other people. It's a little thing. Are we having God conversations with people? God calls us to read his word. Are we reading his word? God calls us to to, uh, commit and engage with the church. Are we committing and engaging to the church? See, what happens is these are the little things that when we start waiting and we get frustrated, we kind of forget those little things. But they're so significant. Those little things matter. Makes me think of, uh, of the Karate Kid. Like, I love the OG Karate Kid movies. They're phenomenal. And remember, Mr. Miyagi is like, Daniel LaRusso, sure, I'll teach you karate. Remember how he does it? 
He's like, come on, come on, LaRusso. Wax the car, wax on, wax off. Paint the fence, sand the deck. Why was he doing those things? Because those little things brought muscle memory. They were the preparation for LaRusso to greater things. And that's why in our waiting, we've got to prioritize those little things because those are the things that God is using to do something in us and through us to prepare us for that next thing. They're not, those little things are not trivial. They're not wasted. They are significant. They're God preparing you for greater things. If we're going to wait well, we've got to know our purpose. We've got to prioritize the little things. Number three, we have to pursue God's presence. Continue to pursue his presence. Continue to seek him, to seek his voice, to read his word, to pray, to sit under the comfort of his wings, to look for his presence. In fact, it reminds me of uh, Acts 23, 11, a couple weeks ago. It said this, that the Lord stood with Paul, physically stood with him and said, take courage. This was remarkable because that's time in Acts 23, Paul was struggling and what it says, God literally stood with him. God gave him his presence. He said, I am with you. The fulfillment of the promise, I'm with you always, even at the end of the age. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you understand how significant the presence of God is? That when we seek his presence, we might not know exactly what God is doing. We might not understand the what's and the why's and the how's. But when we seek his presence, you know what that means? That means he is with us to comfort us, to defend us, to guide us, to love us, to strengthen us, to remind us that he says, I have good plans for you. For your good and for my glory. I don't know what it is you're waiting on right now. I know waiting isn't fun. I know we live in a society where everything is instantaneous. But I know we cannot rush God. better than we could ever imagine. How do we survive that waiting? Really, the question is, what are you anchored in? Are you anchored in the God who loves you? Are you anchored in the God who has a purpose for you? Are you anchored in a God who does not waste a minute, who does not waste a, a circumstance? He is working things out for your good and for his glory. Have you anchored your life on him? Because when we are anchored in him, we know that in our waiting, God's not absent. God's not distant. He hasn't forgotten us. He is working in us, preparing us for something greater. And we can know, not hope, not fingers crossed, we can know that in his time, which is always perfect, his plans will be so much greater than we can ever imagine.